0: And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. You know, it's kind of interesting that we just simply, um, I don't know what it is that causes us to think that if you become a Christian, that God's supposed to make every problem go away and just make a, a rose garden for you. There was a song, I beg your pardon, I never promised you a rose garden probably about a person who didn't probably really fulfill what they should have in their relationship. (laughs) But when it comes to God, he does fulfill what he never promised you, things that weren't true, told you lies to make you like him better, so he could feel good about himself. Which is a lot of times why people lie. To protect themselves. And God doesn't need to do that. He loves you implicitly and wholeheartedly, 100%. There's no breaking up of God's love like I give a little bit over here and a little bit over there. He's 100% for you. And if God be for us, who can be against us? But that does not mean that we won't go through the fire, and it doesn't mean we won't go through the deep waters. And that should always be reminded to Christians so they don't be scandalized by the fact that you go through trials. And Peter has reminded us, and as, as Bill took us to these verses, I'm going to just, you, it's you want a running start a little bit at where you're going as we finish. I'm just going to finish this chapter, chapter 1. But he did say in verse um, 13, therefore gird up the loins of your mind and be sober. And uh, girding up the loins of your mind. And Bill said, it's like, Like at Passover, when they took their robes and stuck them in their belt, the men, because they wear robes, and when they wanted to work, they tuck them up in their cloth um, belt and tie up into almost like shorts, like culott shorts kind of, and with your staff in your hand and your sandals on your feet, and you eat your dinner ready to go, and that's part of Passover. That's part of the discussion that we'll just leave right there, but it's beautiful being ready to go. And we say here, being ready to go is to be ready to stay, and being ready to stay is being ready to go. Are you ready to go? Are you ready if Jesus came today? Um, You know, but wait, there's more. (laughs) What tires out believers? Now, I would get a lot of answers if I actually opened it up and had you tell me, What, what tires out a believer? What tires out a believer, you know? Well, lots of things. But putting our faith partially in the hope we have rather than resting fully in the hope we have. That will tire you out. You see, says, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope, verse 13, fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And I just want to camp here for a minute. Putting our faith fully in Jesus Christ. That's a tall order for us, isn't it? That is challenging. Do not think you are second class or removed from everybody else, all these Christians who just trust God so much and I'm just such a loser. It's just not true. It's the enemy isolating you. We all struggle to give God everything and trust him fully, resting fully. Do you know what it means to not rest fully but partially in the faith that you have in Jesus Christ? Have you ever tried to sit halfway down in a chair and hold yourself up partially with your legs as your legs are bent and you're you're squatting down into the chair, but you're you're afraid the chair is going to break. Uh, for me, this happens all the time. <laughs> I'll take the wicker, you know. This <laughs> it's, it's you know you're you're trying to sit in a chair, but you're not really resting in the chair. Can you picture this? And you're what are you doing? You're straining all the muscles in your legs, and your mind has to think about what you're straining about to hold yourself up. And somebody, oh, well, you should be really well-rested. You're sitting in that chair. Well, you should be really rested in your spirit. You're trusting in Jesus. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. You can't sit halfway in a chair. You can't rest halfway in Jesus, really. And loins of your mind, don't let your thoughts go down those hopeless roads. Tighten the belt on your mind by the work of the Holy Spirit and the promises of God down those hopeless roads, the emotions that can carry you into captivity. Easier said than done. May God strengthen us in our spiritual minds. Amen? We have the mind of Christ in us, and we need to filter everything through the mind of Christ. So you, you need to use the filter of God's word, and I need to use the filter of God's word. James says the, 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 the thoughts that are wisdom from above, it goes through a list of things in James chapter 1, pure, peaceable, easily to be entreated, full of, uh, not with no hypocrisy and no partiality and good fruit. And, and there's a list there that's almost like a, a, a sieve or a screen that you can let go down what needs to go down and keep out what needs to be kept out. And of course, you don't do this on your own, but we have the mind of Christ. He lives in us. And then he says, be holy. Do you know that you... When you think about holiness, and Bill covered it well, but I will give you one more thought. Everyone here has holy things at home. Oh, are you talking about that cross I have uh, hanging, that picture of Jesus, that Bible that's open, my table Bible? No, I'm not talking about that. You have holy things in your china cabinet. I'm going to explain what I mean by holy in a minute. You have holy things in your garage or your shed. Did you know that? You don't think so? Guys, your wife's got a chafing dish. It's her great-grandmother's from whatever country she came to America from. This beautiful bowl, this chafing dish that is never touched by a man. (laughs) Maybe to bring it out for the wife. And uh, you never would take that thing and say, you know, I need to change the oil in my car, and I can't find my bucket or my pan to drain the oil. You would never take that thing out of that cabinet. Am I right, guys? Are we on the same page here? You don't go into the china cabinet. You know why? Because that dish, that chafing dish, is holy. It's set apart for special use. So we had a china cabinet. We actually sold it when we moved our our last move. It was rounded glass, and we just thought, yeah, the kids don't want it. Here's here's a real clue for parents and older people who tend to hoard things. Find out what your kids want. If they don't want it, man, you can start getting rid of stuff. (laughs) You know, and so our kids do not want that china cabinet. As beautiful as it is, it's curved glass and it's antique, we sold it. But anyway, I digress. And there's more to come. Uh, so we have these really antique dishes, her grandmother's dishes, great-grandma, beautiful dishes. And this one year, she says, okay, it's time. It's Christmas, Christmas dinner at our house. Everybody's coming. Get out the, real, the nice dishes out of the china cabinet, Rick. And I, and I said, because I'm a wise, intelligent person, I really have to use those. I mean, you have to wash them by hand and everything. Couldn't we just use the other plates? And she was actually very gracious when she said, she, she, she said, well, Rick, it's Christmas dinner. If we don't use these plates for Christmas dinner, will you tell me when we're ever going to use them? And I went, okay, got it. <laughs> I realized they're set apart, they're holy, they're special for a purpose. They have a purpose to be used for, for special dinners. Now, when any of you come over, and we'd love to have every one of you over, We will serve on paper plates, not because we don't value you. No, we probably won't. But I'd rather have people over and give them paper plates and get to visit with them than spend all the time worrying about dishes and stuff, right? And so would Gail, and generally. But there is a special moment, a special time, and a special place for things. Your garage, you have tools, guys, gals. Somebody has tools that's like, uh, uh, uh do not use that as a chisel. Okay, do not use that as a pry bar, Right? You have tools that are used for for the purpose they were intended. For us to be holy, I could go through the long list. You're getting the point. You were created with purpose, my friend. And the enemy whispers in your ear, no purpose, empty purpose, uselessness. It's a lie from the enemy. It's a lie from the pit of hell. You be holy for I am holy. And so... Jesus, if you want to look at holiness in the Bible, what does it mean? Somberness and ooh, everything has to have Baroque music with it. <laughs> All you got to do is watch Jesus in the Gospels. He's the, He is holiness, is he not? Just watch Jesus. How does he operate? That's holy. Isn't that wonderful? It's not like religious church structure stuff. So, verses 17 through 21. And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest, brought to light, made known in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you have purified your soul, uh, that's far enough, sorry. So. The impartial father, if you call on the father who is not partial, he's impartial. He's the father of all believers, no favorites. Did Peter get a lesson in this? Acts chapter 10, we've alluded to it several times. The sheep comes down from heaven as he's waiting for dinner. He goes into a trance. The sheet comes down three times with all these animals, unkosher animals according to Jewish law and tradition. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Not so, Lord, I've never eaten. You know I've never eat anything eaten anything unclean. And God says at the end, do not call what I have cleansed unclean. Three times the sheet came down. There's a knock at the door, three men at the door. They want Peter to go with them to Cornelius' house who's waiting. And Peter, when he gets there, and they say, we want you to speak to us. In Acts 10, 34 and 35, he says, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. So you see, we're, we're, we're looking at Peter's life and story, and we're listening to his words from his story and the anointing of God to teach us. So, you teach out of what God says, regardless of you, but you also get to share out of what God has revealed in your own journey. Are you with me? Your own journey matters. Peter had a journey on this. But didn't God show favor to Joseph and Daniel and others? The favor God showed to each and every one of the Old Testament saints that you see that are lifted up before our eyes as people that God used and set apart and favored was part of them bringing the thread of the good news to every single person, to all of us. Their favor extends to you. Good news to everyone. More on that in a moment. We're not redeemed by corruptible things. Many believe that silver and gold will answer their need in their life. You know that's still true, even today. It hasn't gone away because we're so sophisticated. If if that was true, we would have a, a whole lot of less, a whole lot less crime. I don't know if that's a proper English term, but. Uh, Because people are always stealing to get stuff because they need stuff. You know, they think they need stuff. They want stuff. Uh, People are always cheating in business because they think they need stuff. People work themselves to death and and extend themselves too much with credit cards, etc. Not always because they're just in trouble, but because they're always pursuing something. Not redeemed by corruptible things like silver and gold or any other temporary thing. If fire can burn it, if water can drown it, it's not going to last. Okay? It's not eternal. Whatever this world can produce is useless to you and I for eternal life. It's not that it can't be used wisely and be a blessing, but it is useless to eternal life. Psalm 49, 6 and 7 says, those who trust in their wealth and boast in the multitude of their riches, none of them can by any means redeem his brother nor give to God a ransom for him. And the next verse says, so stop trying to do it that way. <laughs> My paraphrase. And we read in those verses in Isaiah about God's redemption power in his people that he takes through the fire and the water. Titus two eleven through 14 says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to some of us. Did I get that right? To all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present age, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us, from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for, excuse me, zealous for good works. All God's kids are His favorites. Have purpose and identity in Him. The same blood that, even though Joseph lived and died before Jesus came, it is still the blood of Christ. I won't go through that whole doctrine, but just know this. And you can ask about it later if you don't understand this. Joseph was cleansed of his sin by the blood of Jesus Christ. And the same blood that cleanses Joseph or Daniel or David or Moses or Joshua or Ruth or Esther, etc., is the blood that cleanses me. The same blood that cleansed Billy Graham of his sin, and he needed cleansing of his sin, is the blood that cleanses me. There's one mediator between man and God, the man Jesus Christ. All men, all women, all people, all committed to destruction by our sinfulness, all brought to redemption who do receive the redemption through the blood of Jesus Christ. Do you understand that? Yeah. What will help me appreciate God's favor and grace in my life? Well, there's many Old Testament stories that are pictures for us So I'm going to take you through a little bit of one because of what we've already talked about a few minutes ago about resting your hope fully on Jesus Christ, on everything that's being talked about here. God's great favor came to a king named Asa, who was in the southern kingdom of Judah when the two kingdoms were divided. Asa was a good king. For a season, a long season, he did great. He restored true worship and he was resting his hope fully on Jehovah the God of Israel which is now we understand through Jesus Christ but he and how do i know that well he faced an enemy that was too strong for him a huge ethiopian army came against him and in second chronicles 14:11 it says asa cried out to the lord his god and said lord it is nothing for you to help whether with many or with those who have no power help us O lord our god for we rest on you and in your name we go against this multitude oh lord you are our god do not let man prevail against you that was his prayer pretty cool and god gave him victory over these guys who totally outnumbered him i'll say it again i've said it many times Never in the entire Old Testament, ever, ever, never, 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 does it ever, 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 ever say, God says, you're going into a land with all these people that are so much greater than you, that part was said, but here's the part was never said, and they're just going to be too much for you, it just can't work. The problem is all these other nations. The problem is all these other problems. The problem is all these things you don't have. The problem is all these things you're not. That's such a big problem. I really don't, I don't know what to tell you. Never did God say the problem for Israel was anything outside of them, ever. The problem was inside of them. Was whether they would listen and obey and humble themselves and allow God to build them up, it was not the external world around them. Some may say, preach it, brother, and others may say, that is hard for me to hear. That is really hard for me to hear. You don't know my external world, Rick, and I don't. This isn't about how much I know, or how much power I have, or you have versus me. That's not what we're about. We're about what God says about himself, and declares, and has proven. If you take a breath, then you can say thank you, God, because that breath was given to you by God. (laughs) Everything you have comes from him. He has no problem taking care of it. The hard part of that is that why doesn't he just do it? Well, we've talked some about that, and that's kind of a journey in life to learn. I won't try to go down that road too far. So Asa says, Lord, we need you. We can't do it. And God gave him victory. But in chapter 16, that was in chapter 14, after 35 years of God's blessing and him walking strong, who was against his Judah in the south. It's still Jewish people, but they were divided. It was a civil war kind of situation. And these guys are far worse in their rebellion against God in the north, and that's a long story we've told sometimes. But Basha comes against him and gains forces. And what's he going to do? In chapter 16, verse 2, Asa took the treasures of the house of the Lord, the things that belonged to holy to God, the chafing dishes. You know what I'm saying? Somebody comes in halfway through the study. (laughs) Did they have chafing dishes? (laughs) He takes all these items that were designed for the temple. He hired Syria, who was actually an enemy of his too, but that was people that had often come against Israel and would again in the future. He hired them to fight his battle. By paying them with things out of the temple, trusting in uncertain riches and de- demeaning the kingdom work of the temple. And the problem is, you know what the problem is? It worked for a short time. Brother, sister, there's things you and I can do in the human nature, which we call the flesh and he will work for a little while and embolden you to keep going down that road. But eventually, you're going to see that it doesn't work at all. So it worked because they came in mass and chased away the, the northern kingdom from attacking. And it, and then he takes all this stuff and thinks he's doing great, but it was noted earlier in chapter fourteen, and all the good that he was doing, there was still a sliver there of problem. He never took away the high places. A lot of the kings that did good never went all the way to get rid of everything that was idolatrous. They would leave a little bit. And you can you could run that one in your mind for your own life. Left a little bit. So in verses 7 through 10 of chapter 16, at that time Hanani the seer came to Asa king of Judah and said to him, because you have relied on the king of Assyria and have not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Syria has escaped from your hand. Were the Ethiopians or, and the Lubim not a huge army with a very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he rested his hope fully. He sat in the chair completely. On the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord, I bet you know this, throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. In this you have done foolishly. Therefore, from now on, you shall have wars. (sighs) Oh. It's not like I'm happy or think of myself totally separate from this as I read it. I, I cringe when you, I cringe sometimes. You know, what do you know what cringe means? <laughs> when I think of maybe there's things in my life that are still there because I didn't deal with them the way I should have. God uses it. He loves me and he's with me and he's care, caring for me and I'm blessed. But that was the story for Israel. In so many ways, this is a microcosm of the whole nation. You know, God blessed you and delivered you, but now you've turned and you're not resting your hope in him and you're trusting in uncertain things. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro. We use that verse and we take it out of the context and it still, it does work. It's good, it's true. Because our God's eyes looking all over for somebody to be strong for so it's okay to use that verse separately. It is. But the really right thing to do is know where these verses come from and get the whole story. Then they mean even more. Not they take it doesn't take away from them. It adds strength to them. You know, this is what God wants to do. Asa's response to this rebuke, verse 10. Then Asa was angry with the seer and put him in prison for he was enraged at him because of this And Asa oppressed some of the people at that time. Asa, instead of hearing the word of God convicting him, it was right in his face. And instead of receiving what was right in his face, he got angry. And instead of humbling himself, he lashed out. Do you know anybody like that? Is it ever you? The convicting word of God comes to your doorstep and you get mad. It happens all the time. Folks, sometimes when you pray for a church to grow, the way to pray for a church to grow, and I don't mean this towards anyone here, I'm just telling you a principle, a truth, is you know, Lord, purge your body. Purge that good vine. And hopefully that means that he'll purge, like cleanse and lift up and clip off our hearts of things that would keep us from drawing close to him. And sometimes in a group of people, it means just people go. Now, you know me. If you don't know me, you need to know this. You can ask anyone here. We don't try to keep people here out of any kind of fear or anything. You can go wherever you want to go to church. I hope you go where they teach the word of God clearly and thoroughly and bring you to the cross and the resurrection of Jesus and don't pull punches. But you can go wherever you want. We're not here to try to force people to stay here. And we don't try to make people feel guilty for leaving, and you're always welcome back if you do. I'm talking about just how people will bounce and bounce and bounce because they don't want to face whatever it is. You can do that in a job. You can do that in a marriage. You can do that in any kind of relationship, and you can certainly do it. And the easiest place to do it is with church. because people will, people will give more faithfulness to their bowling league and call and say, hey, you know, guys, I'm just too busy. I can't be on the league this year. I'm, or I'm going to another league. They got better shirts. <laughs> and you go, but people will leave churches. I don't mean, I'm not talking about, I'm talking, I've been around a long time. But it's anywhere. They will just up and, and like, it doesn't matter. Like it was just, I went to church. Now I'm going to another church. It doesn't matter. It does matter. You're part of the body of Christ. You have a commitment to at least communicate. and and What kind of commitment of communication or, or responsibility is that? It's weird. It's wrong. And I'm saying it like it is. It is. But the bottom line isn't this, you know, I get it. Some pastors, every message is about why you should be at their church. That's not my point. It really isn't. I can stand before the Lord. That's not my point. My point is, how do you react, whether it's your wife, your husband, your kids, your parents, your teacher, your friends, the pastor, a brother or sister at church? How do you react when God convicts you to your face? You know, I remember we mentioned it the first week of 1 Peter, how he was rebuked publicly by Paul, and he could have walked out the door and never come back, but he didn't do that, and now he's teaching us so well because he stood his ground and said, okay, i got to go through this rebuke. So this guy gets rebuked, and I just think it's a big deal here. I think it is a big deal that he oppressed some of the people at that time. He took his anger out on others. He used to listen to the prophets, He used to listen to God's word and to God's promises. I have too many people in my life, way too many, from the early days to recent days, who used to listen to the word of God. The eyes of the Lord, though, are still looking. For those who will trust him fully, rest their hope fully and completely in him. This is not extreme Christianity. This is Christianity 101. Do not allow that thought. Well, that's for those people who are really dedicated and really, and add your adverb or, you know, your verb in there or whatever. That is not what this is about. And scattered everywhere. You got chased out of your homes. You got chased out of the synagogues. And now here you are. You, you know, rest your hope fully on Jesus Christ. Everything you got, pop down in that chair. See, he understands that. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. The thief, Satan, through the general flow of his work, not personally on your back, will steal your joy, will kill your hope, and destroy your faith if you give them a chance. Gird up the loins of your mind and be sober. Tighten up the belt of your brain and your spiritual mind and be sober. Not somber, sober. Clear thinking. Can you see there's an attack on your faith? Can you see how easy it is for your faith to go down, your commitment to go down, your dedication and your trust in the Lord to go some other direction? Can you see that? It's not rocket science. We see it every day. Why not let that be you and me? Because they trust in Him, their heart is towards Him. Why not you? Why not me? Why not us? We've been redeemed from an empty hope. Now, that's where he says um, you were redeemed not with the precious blood of Christ, not with empty tradition from your, from your forefathers. Now, we are not to disdain our parents or our grandparents. We are not to disdain anyone who didn't know any better. Are you with me? We're not to look at them like, hmm, at all. We're to show respect and honor everywhere we possibly can. But you and I have been called to follow the gospel and we can do better than those who were before us, especially if they didn't know the truth or if they lived a weak spiritual life. Are you with me? Does that make sense? Is that being high-minded and self-righteous to say, oh, my dad loved me and I knew he loved me. But he yelled at me, and he chased me with a belt, never hit me with the belt, and he was a 50s dad. He was a 50s dad. I never thought that he abused me or that I was scarred from my relationship with him. He loved me much, but he was a 50s dad. And I'm not, so, but I'm not a 50s dad. I'm a Christian dad. So when I started yelling at my kids, the Lord said, you know, Rick, you can do better than this. This is not where it's at the yelling I didn't curse at them but I yelled you can't you can't imagine me raising my voice can you so some of you know what I'm talking about and much further than that you can do better it wasn't a diss on my dad it was a direction from god i hope you have that in your life and don't use your parents or your family history as an excuse not to follow jesus We can do better. We can follow the gospel wholeheartedly. We've been called to follow Jesus on a different path than other people expect. Listen, even among Christians, a different path. So if you get flack, so be it. For raising your kids, for walking your walk the way God showed you to do, and maybe your extended family doesn't like it. Ours didn't. And yet, when it came later, It wasn't like our kids were perfect, but they wanted our kids around because they were more (laughs) well-behaved because we held them to the fire, you know, about behavior and discipline. Not perfectly. We had many flaws, but we did, and and there's things we didn't do, and and, and Gail's parents loved Jesus, but they thought I was crazy. They loved me, but they thought I was a little nuts, a little too extreme. Gail was 100% with me in those things, though, too. And, you know, it worked out over years. You, you outlive your cl- critics. Listen, I see so many people that want to bring their families, their extended with their family. If, and, and you get to do what you, again, church attendance. You know, some weeks you're just not going to be here and you have things that you have to do. But so many people won't go to church when their family's in town. That is so contrary to everything I ever grew up with is like we made them build their day around us going to church. And if they didn't want to do it, we didn't get mad at them, but we said, we'll join you later. Because we had a commitment, and it wasn't just because I was a pastor. Christianity, to me, 101. And I'm not saying every week, every time, no exception. I'm not giving you a rule. I'm trying to paint a picture, and I know I'm in dangerous ground about legalism here. But I'm going to say it clearly. Why should anybody expect have have um, respect for your faith if you don't? If they can move you everywhere by every event they do all the time and also beyond going to church or not, like just the type of event or whatever, do you ever make a stand? I don't mean an arrogant, like I'm being now like loud and boisterous, I'm preaching. Do you ever say, I'm sorry? We don't do that. We don't do that. Sorry. Here's what we do. We'll join you later. Or we'll do this with you. you. know it applies to some people. And they go, I don't know why my family just doesn't show any respect for my faith. Because you don't. Because you don't. I mean, what is really important to you? That's what you have to ask yourself. What are the true values of your life and where do they come from? Your families and your friends need to see that. It's in short supply in our culture. And now you get to work that out. I don't keep a list and a record. I'm talking about an issue that comes up because people come to me and say, I don't understand. I've to your family at every turn. Because they talked to me about that, too. So now you know not to talk to me. Okay. So (laughs) we should be there for our families. There are times to just lay everything down and go help them. That's no question. I'm not talking about that, and you know I'm not talking about that. So don't use that as a smokescreen if you are really fighting a battle in your heart right now because you've been giving in right and left the things that really shouldn't be given into. That's between you and the Lord, not Rick and you and the Lord. So um, that's good, kind of. Don't you want your grown kids to listen to God more than you? Some people don't. Some Christians want their grown kids to listen to them. Well, isn't it the same? <laughs> no, it's not necessarily the same. It might be and it might not be. You might have boundaries around what you want them to do even for Jesus because you want to protect their health and their safety. And God might be calling them to stretch out beyond your boundaries that you didn't do and wouldn't do. Are you willing to let kids that are growing up take risks for Jesus Christ? Or is your... It's not. So... I want my kids to listen to God more than I want them to listen to me. And they have proven that they're not always going to listen to me. And I have to prove that I can handle that. But a godly attitude does not breed, a godly attitude like in your kids doesn't breed self-willed, arrogant behavior. Verses 22 through 25, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth, Through the spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is as the grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of the grass. The grass withers and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now, this is the word by which the gospel was preached to you. See, that's the foundation for my life, so that's the foundation I want for your life. I do not want you to follow Rick Cohen. He has flaws, errors, things that are, he has troubles because he's just like you. The true Christian heart for another person is to want them to know and follow Jesus and to be able to say, Lord, it's them and you. It's not me in the middle of them and you. It's me interceding for them and you. And I'm back here. And I have my own me and you, right? Now, responsibility with growing kids, kids in your home, that's different. You, you, I mean, you do have to take responsibility. But you're constantly working towards a point where they will make their decisions apart from you and make godly decisions you hope and pray, but you do not control that when they're older. And it's not necessarily your fault if they make bad decisions. And sometimes people just aren't gonna learn until they make their own mistakes. It's just, you know, it's just how it is. It doesn't mean you failed. It doesn't mean you failed. Otherwise, God was a failure with Adam and Eve. <laughs> and they had no negative influences. They didn't live in America in 2023 and weren't looking at their cell phones all day. <laughs> Do you realize you can sin without any of the trappings of our world? <laughs> yeah, So, so... So, so it won't breed self-will if truly people are following Christ. All this, all this spiritual energy that he's talking about here goes towards sincere, which is unhypocritical and pure or untainted or fervent, ongoing with strong effort, love for the brethren. See, we have a family, um, we have traditions from our families, we love them, we respect them, we help them, we do what we can and we be a witness to them. But then we also have a new family, don't we? That's why it isn't really, I go to church. It is, I am a part of the family and the kingdom of God. Now, how, it, it, And you can tell if you are just a churchgoer or a connected member of the body of Christ, a part of the kingdom of God. You can tell if you're growing in that or not. And it's a challenge because I have never met a family that says, you know, from day one, as a husband and wife and with our four different children, we just all get along all the time. We just have so much fun together. And now as my kids, now everybody wants to take vacations together all the time. We never want to be apart. We have dinner together, you know, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays. We all the time, every moment, are together and love each other. And it's just a wonderful family. There's never any difficulty between us, you know liar that can't we I've never met anybody like that have you so why do we expect the body of Christ to be way 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 over that like in perfection it's not going to happen you're not going to get it from me you're not going to get it from the person you trust most give it either do you give perfection but do you sometimes expect perfection Now, on the other hand, we have a new family. It includes difficulty because it's a family of real people, people like you and people like me. (sighs) But I got to say, I thank God for this body of believers. And those of you that are not able to be here, I mean this sincerely. Um, When people ask me about our church, I say, man, I love ACF. I would go here if I wasn't the pastor. And people kind of laugh like, because sometimes pastors are at a church where they don't want to be there. I've never, I, I've felt tension and stress from people, but, but I've done that when I was painting. <laughs> okay, I've done that in my own family. So I haven't taken that to this high level, but I have mostly felt it's it just such an awareness of the love of God through you towards me and Gail and our family that I am not rebuking or trying to nail you with anything I'm saying. I want to say thank you for the love that I see in this body, and I watch it happen around me. I watch it happen to me. Sometimes you need to encourage people and remind them they're doing well, and as far as I can see, this is a place of a great deal of love, and I thank you for it. I do. talking about, by this shall all men know you're my disciples, if you have the coolest worship team and graphics. By this shalom men, you'll know you're my disciples if you have the best Sunday school. By this shalom men, your disciples be if your pastors and your leaders are so dynamic, charismatic, handsome, or beautiful. <laughs> Sorry, Bill, I would not <laughs> uh, <laughs> Because they have the best service programs to the community. That's how all people will know you're my disciples. It's interesting you know by how well they teach the bible. And Jesus said John 13 by this shall all men know you're my disciples if you have love's action. God's love for us through us in us eternal word of God incorruptible seed that will change lives permanently for the better that money, silver and gold will not do for eternity. So ask yourself this as we close today if you would And some of you will, because you're already asking it. Where is my hope resting today? If it's 75% on Jesus, it's better than 50%. But how long can you do that with a smile on your face? If your joy is being robbed if your Christianity is very unhappy and it's not working, you may think it's because God doesn't favor you and favors others. Would you at least consider, if you're in that place today, that you might be wrong? Your mind might be, you haven't tightened up the belt of your spiritual mind and things are leaking out. I'm not judging you. I'm not condemning you. I'm just saying you're human. And you have issues that are bothering you And you're not fully resting your hope on Jesus. And so you're in a lot of pain. And there is pain anyway. And you're also getting worn out. Getting worn out. I I don't want to hear another Bible study. I'm so sick of it all. That 25% or 10% or 3%. It's keeping you up off the chair. It's keeping you up at night. It's putting you on edge. It's letting the things that are clearly wrong in the culture around us completely eat away at your soul instead of you standing up to it with the faith and confidence that God wants you to have. Rest your hope fully Okay, So you don't know how to do that, start asking the Lord to teach you. Lord, point at the verse, walk outside, say, God, teach me how to rest my hope fully on Jesus Christ. Would you identify your problem and deal with your problem instead of projecting out to everything else? Would you and me, would we say, this is my weakness and my problem? I admit it, I face it right now with you, Lord, and I want you to do something in my life that is greater than I've ever seen. Don't wait for a revival. Let God work in you and me. Right now, let's stand.